0: What's up, Redemption Church? How y'all doing? So glad that you're here today. 9 a.m. was great. 11 a.m. is going to be better because the best is yet to come, right? Hey, real quick, uh, we're going to start this off by having an interactive moment, okay? So here's the deal. There's two, two types of people in this world. There are, uh, whenever there's a question asked, let me say that. Uh, do you want the good news first or the bad news? Right. And then you have people that are the let me see a raise of hands on this that you're like, give me the good news first and then the bad news, because I like to be sad later. Like Where my Enneagram fours at? Got a couple of you guys. That's not me. I'm the opposite. I'm like, give me the bad news so I can have the good news. So the crushing anxiety that I have doesn't follow me throughout my day. Right. The, we have this weird relationship with bad news, right? And and our culture shows bad news everywhere. We're surrounded by it everywhere that we go. And the worst part is, is that we're the fuel to the fire. We are the ones who we get caught up in it. You watch it and you're like, oh my God, you know, like COVID again and and again and again and, and again, and we're closing up and this person did this and, you know, like... Like, now everybody's out and about, and so now they're having, like, shootings and all kinds of stuff. And you're like, oh, my God, i got to keep reading. And for every every one, you know, puppy post that you're looking for on Facebook, you see a 100 other ones that are bad news. And we get caught up in it. And that's how everything is set up, so that whenever we get caught up in bad news, like, we stop being effective in life, right? Like, that's how it works, because you just keep scrolling keep viewing, keep viewing. That's how everything is set up for us to get distracted by bad news or just get distracted, period. Like, like I got any Netflix accounts in here? Got a couple of you guys? So like, whenever you're on your 17th episode um, for the day and you have just wasted your entire day, there is a sign that comes up, right? And the sign does not say, hey, you've watched enough TV, you should go love on your kids and, and love your wife. <laughs> like, it doesn't say that, right? It says, are you still watching? Jeez. And there's two options, but they always highlight one, and it's the yes. Yes, I'm still watching. I'm totally guilty of doing that stuff. But we see bad news everywhere that we go. But uh, I don't know if you noticed, this is a sermon series over good news, right? So, so we had Brandon come in last week, and he preached on the life of Jesus. And we learn new words like hypostatic union, which means that it's the doctrine that Jesus was both God and man at the same time and how that was good news for us, right? And then Pastor Byron's going to be preaching on how Jesus lived again, the resurrection of Jesus next week, right? And we love a good life story and we love a good redemption coming back from the grave story. We get kind of weird when we start talking about death. Which is fair, because it's kind of like final. Like we don't, we don't know what happens afterwards, you know? Like everything that we work for is done whenever we die. And it's a weird thing, you know? It just is. And, um, you know, in the finality of it, we just don't know how to think of death. We don't know how to perceive death. Like, uh, I struggle with going to funerals, right? Like, I never know what to do. At, and the longer you are making it through this life, you'll go to more funerals. That's just how it works. And so just, I'll just give you, go ahead and give you some advice, a pro tip from what I've gotten, is that um, don't worry about saying the right thing, because there is not a right thing to say to people. Right? You can't do anything to fix their grief, but what you can do is love them in their grief. Right? And just let them know that you're here. Um, so what I want to talk to you guys today about is Jesus died. And that's good news. And you're like, how is that good news, Ethan? Why did why did Brandon Stacy get the good life sermon? Why did Pastor Byron get the resurrection story? Why did you get the death? story. Why do you have to do the death sermon? Well, I want to tell you that if we took this sermon series and we made it a sandwich, we have the life bread, and then we have the resurrection bread, and it pushes it all together. But I'm bringing the peanut butter and jelly today. So we're going to have a good time with this. I'm telling you that Jesus dying, God dying, is good news for you. So this is how we have it set up right here. Uh, I'm going to give you five reasons that Jesus died and why that's good news for you. So we'll start off with number one. Jesus died to be our new covenant sacrifice. Uh, I want to spend a little extra time on this first point because it really like bleeds over. I mean, like no pun intended, but it like bleeds over into the rest of the sermon because it's all about the new covenant and the sacrifice that was necessary to take place. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on this and then you'll see it play out in the rest of the sermon. But we'll start with this. Um, So covenant. How many of you are familiar with the word covenant? If you've been coming to redemption for a little bit, you've probably seen it. Uh, we got a definition for you. Uh, oh, maybe we don't. Never mind. Don't worry about it. So covenant is, I'll just explain it to you. That's totally, that's why I'm here. Um, covenant is the way in which God chooses to come into relationship with us. Um, for those of you who are parents, uh, you've heard Pastor Byron, he has a recommendation for you to get the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is the children's version of the Bible and some of the stories in there. And and it defines covenant as this, as the never ending, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever kind of love. And so my interpretation of that would be that it's the most intentional kind of love. And that's the love that God chooses to have with us. So this is the same idea of whenever a man and a woman get married, that they actually come into covenantal relationship that they come into a covenantal agreement and if you if you uh haven't already we have a song of solomon series that is incredible and it's all on um how to love your wife and and love your husband and what that looks like in the context of being a family under uh the submission of god and how to love each other the way that god loves us so i would highly recommend go check that out on the podcast, but um, what I want to do is is share with you about these seven covenants that we have. So there's seven covenants. This is the way that God chose to come into a relationship with us. We see that we have the Adamic covenant, we have the Noahic covenant, we have the Abrahamic covenant, we have the Palestinian covenant, the Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, and last and definitely not least, the New covenant. So. With these six covenants, God came into a relationship with man under new agreements every time. And what we see is uh, that all of these men were supposed to be our leaders and our heroes, right? So we all know about Noah, right, and the flood. We know about Moses getting the people of God out of Egypt, Um, King David. All of these people are supposed to be our heroes, Our pseudo-saviors. And what we see is that time and time again, these people rise and they fall. They rise and they fall. Whenever you look at the narrative of the Old Testament, this is what we see. You see that God comes into relationship with man. He creates man. Man falls to sin. And then he has relationship with man throughout. But what we see in those covenants is that there is a need for a savior because of the fall. And that none of these men could stand up to the atonement that was needed for the sin. And so it's all pointing to one person. And that's where we get the new covenant. These are not two separate things. This is one through story that we see that it all leads to the, the need of a savior for mankind. And that there's one person that that can meet that need. Right? So Let's talk about the um, first covenant that we see, the Adamic Covenant, and then let's also talk about the new covenant. So we see right here uh, in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we have the Adamic Covenant, which is the covenant made between Adam and God. It says in verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord... God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you do eat of it, you will surely die. So, what we see here is that before the fall of man, before sin entered the world, that, that God created boundaries for love. He said, Stay within these boundaries, and it's for your good. So God said to Adam, I I promise you this beautiful land to have dominion over, and I promise you eternal life. You just have to do this one thing for me, Adam. Just obey my word, trust me, and do not eat of the fruit of this one tree. Then we see this play out in Genesis 3, that Satan comes into the garden and begins to tempt Eve in the form of a serpent into eating from this forbidden tree. And then Adam and Eve, they they fall to this temptation and they eat of this tree. And that's where we see the curse of the fall of men come into play. That when they sinned against God, sin flooded the earth. And there are three results of sin that we see. We see that sin separates, it shames, and it brings death. With Adam and Eve's sin against God, they they separated themselves out of relationship with God because they said that God could not meet their needs by eating of this one tree, uh, by not trusting that what he says is actually good for them. And then it says in Genesis that they hid from God, realizing their nakedness for the first time. That's where the shame comes in, where we want to hide our ugliest, truest self. And then we also see that by their sin, they came into agreement with death for the first time. As we see in Genesis 2:17. it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And, and Paul says it later in the New Testament, Romans 6:23. he says, For the wages of sin is death. They came into agreement with death. Adam and Eve experienced an eventual physical death, but they also experienced an immediate death, a spiritual death. So this is the problem that man has put himself into, and this is the problem that every man in the history and genealogy of the world has found themselves in, that they're caught up in sin, that they have sinful hearts, But God is good, and he's a faithful God. He responds to Adam and Eve's sin with a solution, with a prophecy, a promise of a new covenant to come. God says that he will send the seed of a woman, that's Jesus from the Virgin Mary, and the the serpent, Satan, will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, and Jesus will crush his head. And then God sacrificed the animal. This is the first time in the moment of history that we see bloodshed. That bloodshed comes after sin. The need for bloodshed comes after sin. This is something important to remember that because of sin in the world, covenant is always sealed with bloodshed, with a sacrifice. That's just the rule of how things work, that's what we see in the Word that God sacrificed this animal, poured out its blood, and clothed Adam and Eve with its skin to cover up their shame and their nakedness. So through an act of sin by man to break covenantal relationship with God, all of man throughout the ages has been under this same curse of sinful hearts living in a sinful world that there was a full fall of creation. And this is the reason that man, full of a sinful heart, could not atone for his own sins. Only one man could uphold his end of the covenant. We see that throughout the history with the other covenants in the Old Testament that that Noah and Moses and King David, whom God chose to enter into covenant relationship with on behalf of, of God's people that time and time again, the same thing happened that there was a shedding of, of, of blood on God's behalf and on man's behalf. And, uh, and then every single time, man fell short and died. So only one man could uphold his end of the covenant with God. Only one man could face death and conquer it. Only one man could be perfect in every way in which we could not be. Only one ultimate sacrifice and, and one ultimate seal could be laid on man's behalf of the covenant, the, of the covenant of the Lord. The God man, the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, Jesus Himself. It was of most importance that Jesus lived a life that knew no sin. Because only a pure and sinless sacrifice could atone for the sins of all men. God knew that we could not atone for our own sins because our, we ourselves have sinful hearts. So God sent Jesus to create a new covenant, one that cannot be broken. And he had to seal it with the sacrifice. Jesus lived for a purpose, as we heard from Brandon last week. But Jesus also died for a purpose. Remember what I said, that that covenant is always sealed with a sacrifice. So Jesus, the Son of God, was the ultimate sacrifice because he knew no sin. He was perfect and blameless in every way. And he died the death that he didn't deserve. The one person in the history of the world that didn't deserve to die died on our behalf. And he took on all of the sins of the world. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross sealed the new covenant because of the bloodshed of the perfect lamb between God and man. I spoke of Romans 6.23 earlier and Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. But there's a second part to this verse that says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We now have hope for eternal life on the other side of death because Jesus died for our sins and sealed man's covenant with God that cannot be broken. That is why uh, in his last few breaths, it's recorded that he said it is finished. It cannot be taken back. And that's what made this covenant so special and so important for us, that Jesus died to be our new covenant sacrifice And this is good news. So like I said, we'll see the new covenant sacrifice and the new covenant itself play out in these next points just because it's so important, Um, which leads me into my next point, point number two, that Jesus died to be our great exchange. The simplest way that I can describe uh, the great exchange would be that Jesus endured God's wrath on the cross so that we could experience God's mercy in our lives. When Christians talk about the wrath of God, things get a little squirrely. Even when non-Christians talk about the wrath of God, things get a little bit squirrely, which is understandable because we serve a God of love. That's what it says in the Bible, but he's also a God filled with wrath. So how could God be a God of love, but also be full of wrath? You know, like people typically in the Western culture, like we see God the Father as the Old Testament God, full of wrath and anger. And then we see Jesus as God of the New Testament, full of mercy and forgiveness. But it says all throughout the Bible that God is a God who never changes. So here's my question. Is God an abusive, rage-filled father desiring to crush all of his children? And is Jesus, our loving brother, who took the beating for us so God could... Finally, chill out and, and, and relax a little bit. I mean, let's be honest, it, it's pretty uncomfortable to think about. And you should think about it, and you should have conversations about it, and you should look into it, study it out, see what other people had to say about this, other Christians. I know that um, I'm not terribly worried about talking about this, though. Because I'm at Redemption Church, and we love our Bibles, right? We love the Old Testament. We love the New Testament. We love them both together. And we do not shy away from tough subjects or subjects that make us feel uncomfortable because we don't understand. We understand that God is good and that we just need to know more of who he is. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to I talk about that in this uh, second point, that Jesus died to be our great exchange there are two beautiful aspects that we see throughout the Bible of uh, God, and that is that God is holy in his perfect justice, and he's also holy in his perfect mercy. And so the question that rises is can you be perfect in mercy and justice at the same time? So stick with me on this. Let's consider this that, that God's mercy flows out of his goodness. But also at the same time, goodness without justice isn't actually goodness at all. I know you guys agree with me because let's put it this way. When we see a judge in a courtroom dealing with an offender who has committed egregious sins against humanity, such as, such as murder or rape, we feel enraged when the judge lets him off with a little spat on the wrist, right? Right? We would look at that judge and we would say, that is not a good judge. He might have been merciful to that person. He gave him something that he didn't deserve. He gave him more than he deserved, but we would say he wasn't a good judge. So can you be merciful and a good judge at the same time? The irony is that we live in a culture that is committed to dealing with injustices. And you would think that, that a culture that's committed to dealing with injustices would delight in a God who will not let wrongdoings go unpunished. But that's just not the case. We find, we find anger and hatred towards God or towards the teachings of God. Yet when we're in the guilty seat, standing before God, we would prefer that God would just simply overlook, it's true. It's true. overlook our sins. He would overlook our crimes against him. When it comes to ourselves, we want the holy mercy of God. But when it comes to others, we want the holy justice of God. So how can God be holy justice and holy mercy at the same time? How could God spare us in his mercy, but also be a good judge who doesn't allow injustice to go unpunished? This is where we'll bring in um, a a nice theological word, and and we'll talk about it. God's answer is penal substitutionary atonement. (laughs) (laughs) Penal substitutionary atonement. I had to practice that. So this is just a theological phrase that simply means that Jesus stepped in and took our place on the cross, that he was our substitute. Penal means according to the law. Substitutionary means taking someone's place. And atonement means to make reparations for a wrong. That Jesus quite literally, physically, and spiritually took our place, took on our punishment that we deserved. He became our sin and took on the wrath of God. This way, God could be merciful towards us, but also be a good judge and take on the injustice of the world. And there are two reasons that I see that that the idea of penal substitutionary atonement has so much power. Number one is that out of love for us, God gave his son as a sacrifice. We see in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it says this, in this love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins, which just means the substitution for our sins. And then the second thing is this, that out of love, Jesus willingly gave up his life. Because that's the question, right? It's like, okay, well, that's nice. That, so, so maybe he does, maybe God the Father does love us. But how could he still be a loving father if he put all of this on his only son? Well, the Bible's very clear that Jesus was on the same team as God the Father, that he willingly gave up his life. We see this in John ten seventeen through 18. It says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I, may, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So in this substitution, we see the great exchange, that Jesus is our great exchange, that on the cross, what happens spiritually is that Jesus endured the wrath of God that we deserved so that we could experience the mercy of God, yeah, that we, he exchanged our wrath for his mercy, yes, yes, yes. our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Our whole unholiness for his holiness, our uncleanliness for his cleanliness, our worst for his best. That's what I want you guys to get out of this section is that there was a great exchange that took place. So every single time that you go to the Lord, he says, give me your worst and I'll give you my best. This takes all the the work off of us of needing to be perfect because he was perfect. And he said, you can have my perfection. Just lean on me. Just trust in me. You can have this. And so with that, Jesus died to be our great exchange. And this is good news. And because of this great exchange, we were brought back into right relationship with God, like Adam before the fall of man, Which brings me to my my personal favorite point, point three, that Jesus died to be our reconciliation. Because Jesus is our great exchange, we now have been made justified. Reconciled back into right relationship with the Father. And that we can stand in the presence of a holy God despite our unholiness. Because we carry Jesus' holiness. This is known as the doctrine of justification that we as guilty sinners can stand righteous before God by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. That because of what Jesus did and who Jesus was, we are now justified to be able to stand before the Father, in which we had no business before this moment. So like, we have access to God that was never freely given before Jesus on the cross, but now that Jesus died on the cross and made that great exchange, we've been brought back into relationship with Him because we're justified before God himself. So now things have changed before Jesus' sacrifice. If we wanted to worship God, it, it, it talks about this all, all in the Bible, you'll see this in all the different stories there, are, are different versions of it. but Whenever you wanted to worship God, you had to go to the temple once a year on the day of atonement, and this is where you atoned for your sins in the best way that they knew how. That was temporary. That wasn't fulfilled. And so what they would do is they would go to this temple, and there they would meet a priest, and the priest would go on their behalf into the other side of the temple, which is the holy place. So let's imagine that this is a temple right here, okay? And they had a veil. And the veil was this giant covering that kept this part away from everybody else. And the reason it was like that is because the Spirit of God was on the other side of that veil. And none of us had been justified yet. And so there was no way for us to go into the presence of God because we were unclean and unholy. We couldn't stand before God. Let me tell you what happened if you did try to do that. So the priest would go through these rituals of cleanliness. It was the best that they had to offer. And he would go through all these, these, different, uh, these different rituals, and, and they would sacrifice a lamb. And then the idea was that the priest would bring The the blood of the lamb, and that he would walk into the veil, into the presence of God, and go to the mercy seat and sprinkle the blood on there, on the mercy seat. And that's supposed to represent what Jesus was coming to do. So, if they didn't do everything in the appropriate way, or I don't even know exactly, if I'm being honest with you, I don't know exactly how it worked, but I know that it was so serious that they would tie uh, a rope to the ankle of the priest, and they would just stand and wait, and there would be a bell. And if the the priest walked into um, the holy area, the holy place where the Spirit of God is through the veil, and you hear a you know, you just had to drag him back out because he died. That's how it worked, is that God was actually holy. Like, regardless of what we want to take seriously or not. God's holiness is so real and our unholiness was so real that we couldn't get in there without rituals. But that's what happened is that Jesus reconciled us back with the Father. So now we don't have to worship God through rituals. We can worship God through relationships. So this is what happened. This is what happened is, is you had to go into the temple to worship God. Well, because we're made in right relationship with Jesus, we are now the temple of God. So God in, dwells inside of us. And so we can worship God everywhere we go because he lives inside of us. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to we don't have to kill animals anymore as part of our, our, rituals, our ritual worship to God. That's not necessary because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, which means he was the last sacrifice needed. So now, instead of having to go to a temple, we are the temple. So um, the veil is very important in this, that the veil was set up in such a way that there was a separation between the spirit of God and man, Okay. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, it says that the skies grew black, that, there was an, that, that the ground shook. And one particular thing happened. The veil in the temple was torn. The veil in the temple was torn, which was a physical manifestation of what happened spiritually. That there's no longer a veil separating us from the holy place of God. That we get to be with God. Whenever the veil was torn, it was actually torn spiritually, too. That we can now step into the holiness of God. Jesus is our reconciliation, which means that we can worship God freely in relationship with him. The way that Jesus did when he walked the earth. (laughs) Jesus died to be our reconciliation. And this is good news. So, real quick... um, this is, this is a side note, but I promise it also counts uh, to everything going on. So uh, who here likes movies? Got a couple of people? Okay, who here likes TV shows if you don't like movies? Who likes TV shows and movies? Where are my book readers at? Okay? All right, cool. So I don't know. If you don't do one of those things, I don't know what else <laughs> you do. <clears throat> but I love movies. I love movies. I specifically really loved superhero movies. I, God brought me into this earth at the perfect moment where, as a, as a preteen, like Marvel Cinematic Universe showed up, and I was so ecstatic about it. And do you guys remember the, uh, the Avengers movie? The last one that came out, they had like 17 of them, but the last one that came out, it was a part two. So there was Avengers Infinity War, And then there was Avengers Endgame, and we had to wait about a year in between because it left you on a, a cliffhanger. And so we wait all that time. The movie comes out, and then I start seeing these blogs and, like, these different news stories. And what had happened was that people had watched the movie, and then while other people were waiting in line, they ran out and spoiled the whole movie for them oh gosh, I cannot stand people who spoil stuff. And and they got beat up. Like you hear all these stories and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I'm turning the other cheek on that one. I'm, I'm going in after them too. Y'all feel me? Anyways, all of that to say, um, that, uh, you know, like I hate to say it, but it's true that like Jesus also died for spoilers you know, the people that, that spoil things. He, he died for them. Cause, and that's good news because I'm about to spoil something for, for you guys. And that is that um, uh, there's more to the story after Jesus dies, <laughs> that something else takes place after Jesus dies. And I know I'm talking about Jesus' death today, but the significance raises dramatically whenever we find out that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was raised. And that leads me into my fourth point, that Jesus died to be our victory. So I know, well, I was about to repeat myself. (laughs) We love love story of life, of beautiful life, of life of purpose. We love the story of redemption, whether it's Jesus or it's a, a copycat. We love to see these things take place. But we're very quick to overlook the death stories. And there's one thing that we have to remember is in this story that, that every resurrection story begins with the death. So we love the resurrection story, but it could have never happened without death. Jesus only resurrected because he died. And we're quick to overlook that. But because Jesus faced death, looked at eye to eye, and came out on the other side victorious, it changes everything for us. Our relationship to death has changed. And that's hard for us to remember. That our relationship to death has changed. That that when Jesus took on death and rose, we now have hope that can never be taken away from us. Really think about that. That there's, that there's one giant that's above every other giant in our lives. You know, we have giants like bills and relationships and all these different things, but there's one that is undefeated. And it's death. Well, I say it's undefeated. Jesus took it on face to face. And death had to bow before the name of Jesus. That because Jesus came back from the dead, that death no longer has authority over us. That's why Jesus died to be our victory. We actually get to stand with Jesus in that victory. Everything changes for us. So Jesus died to be our spiritual victory and our physical victory. In, in Genesis, Adam selfish, uh, Adam's selfish act brought spiritual death onto man. And in the New Testament, Jesus' selfless act brought spiritual life back into man. You know, next weekend, um, I know Emerson and, and Pastor Byron talked about it. We're going to have our baptism Sunday. Are you guys ready for baptism Sunday? So I know that there is uh, every time, every time that people decide to, that they want to be baptized and that they should be baptized, um, they run into a wall. And that wall is like that they haven't arrived yet, that they haven't got their lives in order yet. But I want to tell you that, that it's, it's not about that. <laughs> it's not about where you're at. It's about what Jesus did. And Jesus found victory over death. And so in that, we have authority in Jesus You don't have to get yourself right. You don't have to be in the right place. All you have to do is understand that Jesus did something for you that you could never do, and you just have to be with Him. So we see uh, in Romans uh, six, chapter chapter three, it says, "Or do you not know that as many of you, uh, uh, as many of us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death?" So that's what we see whenever we see. People being laid down into the waters, right? That's his death. His burial under the water and then his resurrection back up into into new life. And so, like I said, every resurrection story begins with death. Don't be afraid of death. Allow your old self to die so that you can live in resurrection with Jesus. It says um, that we were baptized in his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. That in order for you to walk in Jesus' resurrection, you have to walk in Jesus' death. So do not be afraid of it, because with Jesus, it changes everything whenever it comes to death. Whenever you're putting to death your, your pride and you're putting to death your distrust and you're putting to death... Um, your sin, that there's always new hope on the other side of it. You have to die in order to be resurrected. So Jesus literally died and Jesus literally rose from the dead, which means that Jesus died to be our victory, that we get to walk in victory with him, that we don't have to fight tooth and nail for our victory you see that in all the other religions in the world that, that it's all about you doing, 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 trying to make it to this place that, so that maybe next time you get reincarnated or, 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 or maybe whenever you do pass away that your goods outweigh your bads. Well, the, the thing is that our bads always outweigh our goods, but Jesus is good. And so if we stand under Jesus, we can walk in his victory with him. On the other side of the grave, but also right here, right now, So don't be afraid whenever death looks you in the face, whether it's an actual death or it is your own spiritual death. You realize that you are dead, that you can be raised to life again. Or you see a death that takes place in your life, whatever it may be, whatever season of life that you're in, you see death in it. Let it not bring fear into your life. Face it because Jesus faced it. We have authority in him that we get to walk in his victory. So, Jesus died to be our victory, and this is good news. You know, when you use uh, the timeline of eternity as a reference, our time on this earth gets really short. And we know how this goes because as we get older, it seems like the time goes by faster. But once you choose life in Jesus, Your time here becomes very precious for a different reason, because there's much work to do. So not only is Jesus our reconciliation and that we're now able to walk in his victory and we can walk like Jesus walked because he is in us, but Jesus died also to be our example. We have a blueprint. This is really good. (laughs) When you live a life for Jesus, you, you live a life on mission. And when you live your life for Jesus, you live a sacrificial life. And the good news is that Jesus gave us this blueprint to show us what it means to, to love in its truest form. He says it right here um, in John 15, 12 through 13. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And so it only makes sense that we follow in his footsteps and that at every moment that the Lord calls us to, that we lay down our lives for our friends. And like I said, when you live your life for Jesus, you live a life of sacrifice. Jesus spoke very clearly of this in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Walking with Jesus is learning how to die to yourself every day. But it's okay. Because we saw that as he did that, that there's new hope that that is born out of that, and so we get to do that as well. That we get to die to ourselves every day to pick up our cross and follow him, which is crazy. Because um, you know, like the big sin at the beginning of time and the sin that we are guilty of throughout is that uh, we didn't trust that God was actually good. He said, "Don't eat of this tree." And then they did it. Why? It's because there's an unbelief that's underneath the way that they think that says, He's not really good, so therefore he must not be telling me the truth. And so we see right here that that's not the case. Over and over again, we see that whenever you follow the Lord, that He's, whenever He says, Die to yourself daily, He's saying, Die to the things that are killing you, die to your sins. Because the old man is gone and the new man is here. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, the one who convicts us and points us towards repentance and holiness, you will always be growing. You will always be reexamining your life and making corrections and adjustments because you will always be on a journey to be more like Christ. And Jesus says to pick up your cross and die. Die to sin, die to pride, die to comfort, die to anything and everything that fails to glorify God and God alone. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of close with this, that um, our worship team is, is reading a book right now that's really good uh, by Jeremy Riddle. It's called The Reset. And he says, if the call doesn't require you to lay down your life, it's less than the call of Jesus. So use this to examine your own life daily, that if the call doesn't require you to lay down your own life, it's less than the call of Jesus. And if the call doesn't cost you everything, you have to obtain it. It's less than the call of the gospel, because we see that it costs Jesus everything. And he is our example. If we love people the way that Jesus has shown his love for us, this world will change. Redemption Church is not a building. You are Redemption Church. You, as an individual, are Redemption Church. And Redemption Church exists to see a gospel center movement, but to also be a gospel center movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. When you allow God to work in you and through you, You are the gospel-centered movement because Jesus gave us an example. Jesus died to be our example, and this is good news. So there we have redemption. There's five reasons that Jesus died and why it's good news for us. We needed a new covenant sacrifice to save us from from our sins. And during Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, there was a great exchange. And because of that great exchange, we can now be reconciled back in right relationship with the Father. With our renewed and right relationship with God, we can now walk in Jesus' victory over sin and death. And then Jesus is our example on how to walk it out. So that is five reasons why Jesus died And this is really good news for us. I'm going to pray us out.